A Sunday school teacher asked his class of youngsters, if I sold my house and my car, had a big garage sale, and gave all the money to the church, would that get me into heaven? No, all the children answered. If I cleaned the church every day, mowed the yard, and kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me into heaven? Again, the answer was no. Well then, if I was kind to animals and gave candy to all the children and loved my wife, would that get me into heaven? Again, they all answered no. Well, he continued, then how can I get into heaven? And a five-year-old boy shouted, you got to be dead. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think we can all understand what the youngster was saying, unless by the rapture. We have to leave this world by death in order to live on in the next. I mean, that makes sense, right? That makes sense. But what he said also rings true about the life of a Christian in the here and now. In order to truly live the Christian life we gotta die. We gotta die. Die, die to self-centeredness. Die to selfishness. Die to self-righteousness. Saying yes to God rather than saying yes to ourselves. As we live in the kingdom of God and grow in Christ in the process, and it is a process, in the process we die to self. We die to self. Or said another way, it's more of God and less of us. That's the goal. More of God and less of us as we live in this troubled world and interact with others. And for Jesus, who is our guide, it all starts with the heart. A change of heart is necessary, is the necessary first step in a change of life. That guiding principle of Jesus, as we will see, is at the core of his teaching. It all starts at the heart, and it served as a centerpiece for his sermon on the mount. 
Last Sunday, we began our study through that sermon. The Lord's first recorded sermon. And if you remember, this sermon comes on the heels of the words by both John the Baptist and Jesus, who said, if you recall, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They were preaching repentance to a people who were feeling helpless and hopeless over their inability to keep up with a legalistic system that had been imposed upon them by Jewish religious leaders. These people thought they had little to no chance to enter God's kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, they would miss out because they could not cross all the T's and dot all the I's just like they had been taught. But here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus talking about the kingdom. And these people who hiked up on the hill were all ears. They are all ears, and they had questions on their minds, such as, where is this kingdom? How do I get in? What do I got to do? How good do I have to be? So to set the tone for his sermon where he answers these questions in a way that no one could ever imagine, Jesus begins with what we call the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, or we might say, the attitudes that ought to be. The attitudes that ought to be, meaning this is all about character. This is about character. And in review of last week, in review of last week, you got that slide? There we go. There's the review. In review of last week, he begins with a statement in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, when it comes to entering the kingdom, people first need to realize that they are outside the kingdom. And cannot get in on their own. Apart from God, people need to recognize they 
are spiritually destitute. Spiritually destitute. Cowering beggars who got nothing to offer God when it comes to their own righteousness. Nothing. Blessed. Spiritually content with God's favor. That's what blessed means. Spiritually content with God's favor are those who finally understand they can't bring anything to the table but filthy rags. That's all they can bring. Filthy rags. And therefore, they must depend solely upon the grace and the mercy of the king to enter into his kingdom. Jesus then said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And when making the connection with the first beatitude, and they are all connected, Jesus is saying, Blessed, spiritually content, are those who see their sin the way God sees their sin. They are heartbroken. They are heartbroken over the weight of it. And they have come to the place of repentance. For it's then that God's complete forgiveness brings the comfort. That's good news. This is all good news. It's radical news, especially to a people who thought they were shut out of the kingdom. Now, going with the flow, Jesus adds to his list and says, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. If you recall, I said I like the word meek instead of gentle. Although it's the same Greek word. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. And it paints the picture of breaking a wild, powerful wild horse. Breaking a powerful wild horse where in the process it gives up its will and its independence and it yields to the master. Likewise, those who recognize they are spiritually destitute who grieve over their sinful condition in meekness, they must give up their will and humbly submit to the will of their loving king. In review, Jesus continues and says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
which ultimately says to me, this is kind of how I paraphrased it last week, blessed, spiritually content with God's favor, are those in the kingdom of God who have a passion to be what they see in their king. To be like Jesus. Blessed are those who have a passion to be more like Jesus. And nothing else will satisfy them. In a world where people hunger and thirst for all the wrong things, blessed are those who have an appetite for the things of God. Last Sunday, we stopped with blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Where it seems to me that Jesus shifted his focus a bit to others who are around us. The merciful, those who are full of mercy, those who understand they are the recipients of God's abundant mercy, they find it only fitting. They find it only fitting to give what they have received. Now, I did this review because, as I said, these Beatitudes are connected. They are progressive in nature. They flow. And being mindful of this, let's just go with the flow. Let's just go with the flow and pick up where we left off. So if you have your Bible, <clears throat> turn to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5, and we will begin with verse 8. Matthew 5, verse 8, where Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I think of all the Beatitudes, there are more comments about this one than any of the others because this one is so deep and so wide in scope. It encompasses just about everything we are and everything we do, for it involves the heart. Biblically referring to the inner person. The inner person, the thinking part of us, okay? The thinking part of us that influences our will and our emotions. This is where Jesus goes 
to the inside of us, to our very core, to the heart. Okay? Now, I don't know about you, but at first glance for me, I'm getting personal. At first glance for me, those words, pure in heart, sound unreachable and unrealistic for me. But if Jesus said it here to a people just like you and me, After talking about God's abundant mercy, there's the flow. After talking about God's abundant mercy, then maybe there is more to this than meets the eye. So what what does pure in heart mean? In the Greek, I know some of you like the Greek. In the Greek, the word for pure is katharos. Katharos. And it has two basic meanings. First, it means to be cleansed. Okay? To be cleansed. Like Washing dirty clothing until they are clean. Almost like roughly washing. Remember the old days when they would, what was that thing called? I don't know what that's called, but it's, it's yeah, washboard, yeah. So it's like, it's, like, it's like washing dirty clothing with a washboard until it is clean. That's the first meaning. And the second meaning for pure speaks of being unmixed unmixed as in uncontaminated like refined gold like refined gold that has no impurities we call that what pure gold we call it pure gold and when putting these two meanings together clean and unmixed In the context of our character, and this is about character, in the context of character, what Jesus seems to be saying is something like this, and I am paraphrasing. Blessed. Spiritually content with God's favor. Again, that's what blessed means here. Spiritually content with God's favor are those whose hearts are washed clean by the mercy of God and whose hearts are undivided in their devotion to Him and whose character is sincere before him. Up on the hill, speaking to a people who desired the kingdom, these words from Jesus, 
pure in heart would cause his listeners to be honest with themselves and to be honest with God. These words would cause people to take a deep dive into their own lives and to examine the sincerity and the integrity of their own hearts, their own character. Someone once said, I don't know who said it, but someone once said, Character is what you are when no one is looking. Woo! Character is what you are when no one is looking. I like that. Till it involves me. But I like that. But the truth is, Someone is looking. Someone is looking. And it's God who sees you just as you are. All of you, up and down, inside and out. A couple, this is a funny story. A couple had just purchased a new boat. But they were having some serious problems with it. No matter how hard they tried, they just couldn't get their 22-foot boat going. It was very sluggish. No matter which way they turned, no matter how much power was applied. After about an hour of trying to make it go, they finally got it to a nearby marina, hoping someone there could tell them what was wrong. A thorough check on the top side of the boat revealed that everything was in perfect working condition. The engine ran fine, the outdrive went up and down, and the propeller was the correct size and pitch. Then one of the marina guys jumped into the water to check underneath. And then he came up choking on water because he was laughing so hard. For under the boat, still strapped in place, was the trailer. <laughs> If you got a trailer secretly strapped underneath your boat, so to speak, if what is seen above the water is not the same below the water, or if the way you look in public is not the way you are in private, Rest assured, God sees it. He sees your sincerity. He sees your integrity. 
He sees the genuineness of your character. He sees your heart. And for the pure in heart, if you notice in the verse, Jesus says they shall see God for themselves. Now just for clarification, Jesus is not talking about physically seeing God. But rather this speaks of living in the presence of God. Living in the presence of God where the pure in heart realize that God is with them. They hear what he has to say. They know what is on his heart. And they see where he is working. In a nutshell for me, this is describing intimacy. Intimacy with God. And I think we all desire intimacy with him. But there are those times when we may wonder where God is and why he hasn't spoken to us and why he has not shown us his plans. We may wonder that. And if you have wondered that, then maybe take a moment to consider the condition of your heart. Perhaps you need to pray as David did in Psalm 51, which I read this morning to you. There's no slide for that, Travis. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Maybe that's the prayer we need to pray. When we don't feel close to him. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? The matter of the heart is the heart of the matter. So in our next verse, Jesus moves from intimacy with God to harmony with others. And in verse 9, Jesus continues and says, Blessed are the peacemakers... For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who work for and do the things that make for peace. Blessed are the peacemakers who try to relieve tension 
instead of adding fuel to the fire, so to speak. Blessed are the peacemakers instead of the peace takers. Now, I like how Charles Swindoll explains this. And he said, a peacemaker seeks resolutions to arguments and debates. A peacemaker works hard to keep offenses from festering into fractured relationships. A peacemaker's words generate light. This is so cool. A peacemaker's words generate light, but not heat. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It is important to note, however, that being a peacemaker does not amount to being a passive person who lies down like a doormat and lets people walk all over them. The kind of peacemaking referred to here is active, not passive. Peacemakers are engaged in a ministry of reconciliation and restoration Entering troubled waters to help bring calm. I like that. They enter troubled waters to help bring calm. In this way, they model in this life the ministry of Jesus, the Son of God who came preaching peace and reconciliation to those who are willing to hear. I like that. Now to piggyback on what Swindoll said, and I mentioned this in Sunday school this morning. Notice that Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peace lovers. And I need to explain that. And you know who you are. Sometimes for the sake of our own peace. Sometimes for the sake of our own peace, we are reluctant to stand in the middle. We are reluctant to enter into the troubled waters when we are called and compelled to do so. And by doing nothing, we can actually make a matter worse. Listen, I know it is very hard to stand in the middle. But that's what a person who is filled with God's peace does. In humility... And that is vitally important. In humility, they stand in the middle to help bring peace. 
just like Jesus did between a holy God and sinful man. He's called the Prince of Peace for a reason. His ministry was a ministry of reconciliation. And those in the kingdom who minister in this way, they shall be called the sons and the daughters of God. As Christians, we should seek to bring peace between people who are at odds with one another. But not only that, we should seek to bring peace between people God and people who are at odds with him. And we do that by sharing the good news of the gospel. Those who have experienced the peace of God can bring the message of peace to man. That's the bottom line. Okay. We have come to the conclusion of these Beatitudes where Jesus explains that in this upside-down world, there is a cost for doing the right thing in the right way for the right reason. There is a cost. And beginning with verse 10, Jesus says this. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. And falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the blessing that no one really wants. No one wants this. In this progressive list of beatitudes... This is the last one. This is the last one. Which suggests to some. This could also be. A kind of a test. That's what some have suggested. If you notice. It's definitely the longest, probably the hardest because we all want to be liked. It's the only one with a command, the only one. It's the only one with an explanation. It's the only one repeated twice. And it's the only one that switches the tense in pronouns. 
All the other Beatitudes, it was those and they. Here, it's you. You see that? It's you. So these words might be surprising to some. Because if you realize you are spiritually destitute and dependent upon God, you grieve over your sin leading to repentance, you are humbly yielded to the will of God, you have an appetite for righteousness and the things of God, you are showing mercy to others, your, your heart is pure, you are seeking peace, one might expect that everybody will be happy to see you. Welcome you with open arms. Ready to greet you. But Jesus says here, Oh no. Oh no. If you live a life of righteousness, a life that is different from this world, if you are my friend and you follow me, if you stick out like a sore thumb, then you can expect to catch some flack. People will insult you, harass you. They will speak evil of you and they will say false things about you. It's going to happen. And it's going to happen, he says, because of me. Because of me. Now take note, this persecution that Jesus describes comes because you live the way God wants you to live. This is not because you did something stupid and sinful. You get to, you, you get to own that one. What Jesus is describing here are those who have taken a stand for righteousness. They are doing the right thing in the right way for the right reason. But in this world, there will be consequences for it. And we see that even today. When someone stands up for Christ identifies themselves as a follower of Jesus, all kinds of people will come out of the woodwork to attack. You can claim to follow. You know this is true. You can claim to follow anyone else. Anyone else. But if you name the name of Jesus, the attacks will come from everywhere to include your own family. You will be called narrow-minded, shallow, brainwashed, outdated, bigoted, and even hateful. 
all because you call yourself a Christian. It's going to happen to us, but Jesus says to us, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad because the kingdom of heaven belongs to the righteous. That is, God is on our side even though the world is not. And he also adds that those who endure this persecution for the sake of righteousness are in really good company. The late Dr. Billy Graham spoke about a friend of his who went through the Depression in the 1920s, losing a job, a fortune, a wife, and a home. But he was a believer in Jesus Christ and he tenaciously held to his faith even though he was naturally depressed and cast down because of his circumstances. One day in the midst of his depression, he stopped to watch some men doing some stonework on a, on a huge church in the city. One was busy chiseling a triangular piece of stone. What are you going to do with that, he asked. The workman stopped and pointed to a little opening near the top of the spire. See that little opening up there near the spire, he said? Well, I'm shaping this down here so that it will fit up there. The friend said that tears filled his eyes as he walked away from the workman. For it seemed that God had spoken to him personally through the workman telling him, that God was shaping him for heaven through his ordeal. That's what these beatitudes are all about. That's what these beatitudes are all about. God shaping our character. God shaping our character to be more like the king. So we are fit for the kingdom. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much for this time in your word. I thank you for our loving Lord and Savior who gave these to us. I thank you, Lord. I thank you that you dive deep down into the heart, right to our very course. You see it all. Father, give us 
as David prayed, a clean heart. Search our hearts and help us to be more like Jesus. Father, be honored and glorified. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why do you think Jesus is so concerned about the heart? Our character? Why does he start there? Because our conduct It only makes sense he starts at the heart. Because the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. That's where he has to start. He's speaking of sincerity of heart. Integrity of heart. My wife probably tell you. I hope that what you see here is the same my wife sees at home. That's what the sincerity of character, the integrity of character is all about. Come here and put on a happy face, and then on terror at home. Integrity means I'm the same guy. There's no, there's, there's no two faces. I'm not two faced. There's no double standard. It's integrity. God starts with the heart. It's because our character flows from that. Maybe you're here this morning and like David, you're going, I have blown it. I have blown it. God, give me a pure heart. four days I'm the word of my son he's 42 lives in Arizona an alcoholic and he's gone on dinner he spent the last four days drunk as a son the virgin
says, you never, never look at me and you'll bother this God at all together. He doesn't understand. He doesn't have problems. He's got it all figured out. That would be an absolute travesty. I hurt. I ache. Just like you do. Just like you do. And so I too have to be transparent with you. with him. Be honest with yourself. 